So the title this afternoon is, Are We Jonah? Really short sermon, no. But wait, wait. It turns out that on the Day of Atonement, the Jews read Jonah. And they make this statement at times, I am Jonah. Why is that? It's because the Jewish people see in the message of Jonah the need for forgiveness, and they see forgiveness there. They see a lot of forgiveness given to the Ninevites, and they even ask God, you know, would, would you forgive us because of the forgiveness given to the, the Ninevites? And they also see repentance, because Jonah does change over the course of this book. But now we are the new Israel. We are the people to whom the promise given to Abraham has been fulfilled. The blessing that is to go to the nations. The promise given to Abraham. The New Testament tells us that it's fulfilled in the Holy Spirit. And and the New Testament tells us that Jesus Christ is the offspring, the seed, one seed given to Abraham. So we are the new Israel. So if the Jews say, I am Jonah, what about us as the New Testament church? The real quick answer to this question from a lot of people uh, today would be, uh, yes, we are Jonah, specifically because we are being disobedient to the call to go. The call to go, the Great Commission, given in the very same language, go to Nineveh, go. And we are holding back. So those are all aspects of the reality that is the book of Jonah, and it's important for us to consider them. There's actually much more in the book of Jonah besides those questions, even though they are very important. Are we Jonah? Many people look at the disobedience of Jonah, the fact that he runs from God, and they find parallels in New Testament believers. We run from God in many different ways. Are we running away from what we've been called to do, commissioned to do as believers? Those questions are asked. What does Jesus say? Jesus says in the New Testament that the sign that is given to an unbelieving generation before him is the sign of Jonah. He says in Matthew 12 that the sign of Jonah is as Jonah was in the body of the the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. He's talking about his death and resurrection. And we've just seen in Luke 24 that Jesus says that it was necessary because the Bible proclaims it in Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, the three categories of the Old Testament, that the Christ was to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. What the Lord Jesus says there is that his death and resurrection is central to the call to repentance and remission of sins. So if we see ourselves in the book of Jonah, but we don't see forgiveness through Jesus Christ, then we're missing something that the book of Jonah is designed to show us according to Jesus. And if we don't see that the message is 
telling us that the gospel is to go to the nations, then we're missing what Jesus says in Luke 24. But he also says that it begins at Jerusalem. So Jonah has a specific role, a specific place in the history of redemption, and it's important that we slow down and take a look at it. Jonah is one of the minor prophets, that means shorter prophets, but Jonah is not like some of the other prophecies. Because the concern of the book of Jonah is Jonah, not specifically the message. The message is given, it's a very short message in chapter 3. It's a message that is actually only five words in the original language. The emphasis in the book of Jonah is the response of Jonah to the word of the Lord. Look at how it begins. It begins... Suddenly, it begins bursting on the scene as the word of the Lord comes. It will end with a question from the Lord, but it begins with the word of the Lord coming to Jonah. We don't know how the word of the Lord came. You know, we, we don't know specifically how these Old Testament prophets received the word of the Lord. Dreams, visions, you know, speaking from above, we don't know. But we do know that Jonah heard the word of the Lord, and the word of the Lord was very clear, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. It's a prophetic call. It's given to Jonah. It reminds us of a prophetic call given to Elijah, where he is told, in very similar language, to go do something. But when the call comes to uh, prophets and uh, servants of God of the Old Testament, often there is an objection raised. Moses raises this objection in Exodus 4. He says he's not eloquent. Jeremiah raises this objection in uh, the first chapter of Jeremiah, saying he's too young. We don't get the objection from Jonah until chapter 4 and verse 2. Jonah gives us the objection later. Because the story really begins with Jonah's immediate disobedience to the word from the Lord. That's an amazing thing in itself. How is it that a prophet of God is saying no when the word from the Lord comes? Who is this guy? Well, we find out if we look at 2 Kings 14 that Jonah was actually used by God to prophesy that the borders of Israel will be expanded again back to where they were before the Syrians took over. It was a positive message in the northern kingdom. Jonah was given this message, and he undoubtedly proclaimed it faithfully. But it wasn't to a foreign nation. Jonah's name means dove. And you think immediately of the Holy Spirit, you think of peace, the, the kinds of references that we think of. But the Word of God has different ways of portraying a dove. In Hosea 7 and 11, a dove is a silly and senseless bird that represents the people of God. Hosea, preaching to the people of God at that very same time in history as Jonah, Hosea's message was that the people of God needed to repent of their complacency 
their greed, their injustice, and that they were being silly and senseless. Jonah's name means silly and senseless. But he's the son of Amittai, whose name has to do with faithfulness, whose name has to do with constancy or truth. That's what the, the word means. And there's a little pronoun, my, attached to it. Amatai is named after God's faithfulness. So Jonah is the silly and senseless one, the dove, son of my faithfulness, son of the faithfulness of God. What is God being faithful to? Well, we've already seen in Genesis 12. It was the promise given to Abraham that in his offspring, all the nations, that uh, in, him, in him, all the nations would be blessed. We know specifically as redemptive history moves on, that it's through his offspring, through one, Jesus Christ, and through the pouring out of the Spirit, as we're, we learn in Galatians. But at this time in, in redemptive history, Jonah is on the end of the northern kingdom, the time before the lights go out, the time before the plug is pulled on the northern kingdom. And Assyria has been around for a long time. Assyria has been demanding tribute from Israel. Nineveh is a city in Assyria. Assyria, the enemies of God's people. Jonah had spent his life growing up from Gath Heifer to uh, proclaim to the, the people of God that they were God's chosen people. Now God tells him something that is shocking to Jonah. We don't find out how shocking it is and why it's shocking until chapter 4. But the story goes on. The story starts with a bang. Arise, go to Nineveh that great city, and cry out against it. For their wickedness has come up before me. In the Old Testament in Genesis 15, we see references to the, the evil of the people of the world piling up. It's like that for Nineveh. Later on in redemptive history in the book of Nahum, Nineveh we called that bloody city. And the second prophetic book to end with a question is the book of Nahum. Judgment on Nahum. Judgment declared on Nahum. Ending with a question. Jonah ending with a question. But in this case, God is saying to go to Nineveh and cry out against it for their wickedness has come up before me. Well, what's the problem? One of the problems is that Jonah knows that when declarations of judgment are given against a people, that they are given the opportunity to repent. He declares this quite clearly in chapter 4 and verse 2 as he talks about the character of God. Where he really has a problem is the character of God. But we don't know this yet. We just know that Jonah is given a prophetic word, a word from the living God, and he says no. Jonah arises in response to the prophetic word, but he arises to flee. 
we just sang from Psalm 139, Jonah knows that he can't flee from the presence of the Lord. Psalm 39, verses 7 to 10. Wherever you go, he's there. If you're in the belly of a fish, down at the depths of Sheol, he's there. Jonah knows that. But Jonah is clearly resisting the call to go and cry out against Nineveh. And it says two times in verse 3 that it's from the presence of the Lord. Now Jonah, as a Hebrew prophet, doesn't seriously think that he can get away from the Lord and his presence. But he's trying to get as far away from the things that are representative of the Lord's presence as possible. There's a great deal of irony in this. Because Jonah, in trying to get away from the presence of the Lord, actually begins to move forward the demonstration of the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham that the gospel would go to the nations. By this word going to Nineveh on this ship, and what we'll see next time, uh, and the impact on the sailors, a foreshadowing of what will happen in chapter 3, Jonah is actually fulfilling the word that he's trying to resist. And that's the great irony of the book of Jonah. This book is about something greater than Jonah. Someone greater than Jonah. You see, we miss the point of the book of Jonah if we begin to think about the book of Jonah as it points to others. As it points out the flaws of other people. Specifically, as Christians, we think of the Jews. Jonah is a representative of the unwillingness of the Jews to go to the nations. That's true, but it's not the whole story. We also misread Jonah if we overemphasize the way that it points to us. Jonah is about me, because last Thursday... I was clearly running from the Lord. I knew what the Lord wanted me to do. He wanted me to go to my, my co-worker and he wanted me to resolve that conflict and I did not do it. And I was running from the Lord. Or we can misread Jonah by thinking it's about God in general. It's not just about others. It's not just about me. It's about God. Clearly it's about God. God's power over the storm, God's power over the fish, God's power over the wind, God's power over the worm and the plant, God's power to make someone created in his image who does not want to do what God calls him to do, do it. Making Jonah willing, at least to the extent to which Jonah will do, what God has for him to do. It's about God. It's about God's compassion for the nations. The last question makes that clear. But Jesus narrows the focus even more. It's not just about God in general. It's about the sign of Jonah. It's about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
This is the only way that repentance and forgiveness of sins can go to the nations. Unless the Ninevites embraced Jesus Christ, offered in Old Testament shadows in the form of a disobedient prophet who does not want to even proclaim the message, only five words, unless the Ninevites embrace Jesus Christ, they will not be truly and finally converted. But that's true of us. You see, if we look down at others, we look at others who are being disobedient, we see the message that way, we fail to see the importance of embracing Jesus Christ. If we think it's a message about God in general and his power over nature, his ability to, to sovereignly rule over a human being's life so that he does what he wants him to do, we've gleaned something from the book of Jonah. But we haven't seen what Jesus says is a central message. If we think that it's about me and my disobedience to God, we haven't seen the full message of the book of Jonah. One writer puts it this way. How do we become so convinced of our moral superiority that we must look down on Jonah as if he failed to learn an elementary lesson about being nice to other people? An abundance of Sunday school material makes this the moral of the story. Be nice to people, unlike Jonah the Jew. Why? That's a problem if, if we begin to think that the book of Jonah is about simply being kind to others. But too many times uh, as we look at this story, a very familiar story, and as we encounter people who have encountered the book of Jonah, this is the level on which they know it. They know that Jonah was swallowed by a big fish. It's a very dramatic story. It has the word great throughout it. In many Different places. God hurls a wind on the sea. That word hurled is used four times. The language is, is dramatic. The action happens fast. Verbs in the original are placed upon one another so that it's like the Gospel of Mark. It's moving extremely fast. Jonah is going away from the Lord. And the Lord is overruling him. But all of this is about something much bigger than simply being nice to people, simply including people in the sphere of our influence as Christians. No, the primary message of the book of Jonah is not that simply that Jonah should have obeyed. That much is clear. But it's about the fact that God continued his plan of redemption despite Jonah's disobedience. Because the plan of redemption, you see, hinges upon Jesus Christ. The plan of redemption is a promise from God that is centered upon him sending his son. Jonah cannot stop the train going to Nineveh, even though he tries to take a boat and go the opposite way. Jonah rises to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. People argue about where Tarshish is, but uh, most people come down to this basic fact that it's in the opposite direction. It might be a little bit uh, west and a little bit north, but it's far away from Nineveh. It's far away from the, the land that God had given 
in which Jonah grew up. He's ironically going to the nations, even though he doesn't want to go to a particular nation. Jonah arises to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, seeking to get away from the where the Lord has called him to be. And he begins by going down to Joppa. Looks like a simple statement of geography. He went south. But that word down is repeated. It's repeated again and again. He found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it. Okay, he's off of the place where you get onto the ship and he's going down. But that word down is repeated. Look for it. You will see that Jonah goes down, 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 all the way to where he ends up in chapter 2, the pit. Jonah goes down because he is going away from the Lord. He's going away from the Lord spiritually. He's going away from the Lord in many ways. That word down is meant that for you to see that there's a spiritual message in the book of Jonah. It's a message about how Jonah is rebelling against his commission from the Lord. But it's also a message about the consequences of doing that. Jonah begins to go down and descend. And as Jonah descends all the way to the farthest point of separation from God, God begins to show his great mercy. God will restore Jonah to dry land. He will restore him through this fish. And Jonah, in his attempt to get away from the Lord, becomes a picture of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, we could not be saved by someone like Jonah. The Ninevites could not be saved by someone like Jonah. They needed the Lord to superintend his word. They needed all of the the resources that the Lord used to bring Jonah to that place, to proclaim those five Hebrew words. That short sermon to the people of Nineveh. God has considered the wickedness of Nineveh. And God has determined that Nineveh will hear a cry against him. Brothers and sisters, when we call out in a fallen world against ungodliness, it is important that we recognize that that is the means that God uses to pave the way for the message of the gospel that is defined by Jesus Christ as repentance and remission of sins preached in his name to all the nations. That is why we need to talk to people about hell, as Jesus did. That is why the scriptures that speak of hell and judgment need to be proclaimed. Because there is only one way to turn, and there is only one way to find forgiveness of sins. It is through Jesus Christ. It is a very sad thing, although we should not 
simply look down our noses at them, but it's a very sad thing that Jewish people are gathering on the Day of Atonement and talking about forgiveness and repentance apart from Christ. That they are proclaiming themselves to be Jonah and missing the sign of Jonah. Missing the one that Jonah unwittingly points to. Missing the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is no forgiveness. There is no repentance. There is no deliverance from God's wrath. If Nineveh cannot embrace the short message that Jonah gives with Holy Spirit power that shows them their standing before God and their need to turn, the Nineveh will not turn. That's actually what Jonah hopes. That they won't turn. They're the enemies of God's people. If they repent, they're coming after us. I knew that you were going to do this. That's why I fled. That's what he tells us in chapter 4. I'm only giving it to you because, you know, we're a few months down the road. Chapter 4. Read through the whole book. But Jonah... It's not at the end of the day, us. He's us in some respect. But Jonah, in the history of redemption, becomes a picture of the work of Jesus Christ. One greater than Jonah. Greater than Jonah because he does not question the need to obey God. The book of Hebrews tells us that he learned obedience through what he suffered. And he became the source of eternal salvation to all who would trust in him. The Lord Jesus Christ was obedient, faithful from the very beginning. He was the son of God's faithfulness. The faithful son. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ sees something in the book of Jonah. This larger-than-life story that the higher critics like to say didn't really happen. No one can be swallowed by a fish and live for three days. But Jonah is a picture, as the Lord Jesus Christ says, of his death and resurrection. A historical event that has changed history. No, Jonah is a much bigger story than even the comic book version, than even the dramatic Hollywood version, the VeggieTales version. Bigger than that. Who would have thought? God's own work, bigger than VeggieTales' rendition of it. But we're meant to see something in the book of Jonah. Something that's important for us to see. As we seek to embrace the call of the Lord Jesus Christ to proclaim his name to all the nations, 
and repentance and remission of sins based on his suffering and rising from the dead the third day. We need to maintain a sense of humor about ourselves. And this is one of the great side benefits of the book of Jonah. Jonah does things that are ridiculously funny. And God does things that are incredibly large. And the responses of the sailors and the Ninevites are the opposite of what Jonah would expect. And frankly, the opposite of what we might expect. Do we have a trust in the sovereignty of God that enables us to remember that his promise to reach the nations is going to be fulfilled through the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection, that people will repent. They will be forgiven of their sins. Their wickedness that comes up before the Lord will be addressed by him. And nothing that we do to mess up can stop his sovereign work of fulfilling his promise that has already been demonstrated in Jesus Christ and in the pouring out of the Spirit. Face your call as the people of God to go to the lost with the knowledge that your ability to mess up does not trump God's ability to keep his promise. Because that too, you see, is the message of Jonah. And in that respect, Jonah is just like us. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that you would guide us and help us as we consider this prophetic book about a, a prophet who resists the call and who has an adventure of disobedience that is larger than life, that is bigger than we would have expected. In fact, that is so large that we begin to wonder why he is fighting so much. And we ask that you would help us as we consider this to remember that what the Lord Jesus Christ has done, what he has made clear in explaining to us the meaning of the book of Jonah as it points to himself. What Jesus Christ has done is part of your sovereign work, part of your fulfillment of your promise given to Abraham, that the gospel is going to the nations and that forgiveness is found in Jesus Christ and that people really do turn to him. And we ask that you would help us as we look at this massive story of things going wrong, things backwards from the way that we expect them to be, to develop a renewed confidence in the steadfast love that you have demonstrated in Jesus Christ and the ability that you have to orchestrate redemptive history to bring about the arrival of Jesus Christ in a way that even your people recognize through the sign 
the restoration of Jonah from the land of the dead as a picture of the physical, bodily, exalted, promise-fulfilling resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if we live in a world like that, where the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything, surely we can laugh at the silly attempts that men and women and boys and girls, and even we ourselves, make to try to mess it up. Help us to rest in your will, in your guidance, the way that we are guided by the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't want to sleep on that boat. Picturing Jonah in another way, by contrast, because he trusted his heavenly father. Help us to learn from him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.